Michigan criminal defense attorney Bill Amadeo is standing by in cell block S. The jail visit starts now on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Amadeo from... Mick Madison Amadeo and Grable and Associates and throw up the six. Six. And today, we'll talk about a really weird week I've had. Um, oil changes going wrong. <laughs> Car washes where I thought somebody was going to die. And the slushy machines. I kind of blame Matt McManus for the slushy issue, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I gotta tell you, <clears throat> I am, uh, going out of county for this trial next week. It's only the fifth time I've been ordered to come out of county on it. <clears throat> and, you know, get to know the people. I know I know that many of the hotel workers now. I know their marital problems. I, it's been a weird week, man. I am so burned out, I swear. But <clears throat> let's talk about Tuscola. Let me just say, I think Mark Green is one of the best prosecutors in the state of Michigan. Amazing guy. But I've had some issues in Tuscola outside of the courtroom. I'm going to share some of them today. And it really, um, I had an idea this week. So I go to Tuscola for court. I'm supposed to get a plea done. That's a long story. And I go to a Zoom. Now, guys, if you haven't been to Tuscola, be very careful about internet service on your phone. It may not work. But I pull into the back of this church like I'm like some creeper to try to steal their internet. Because it doesn't work with my phone out there. And I did the one Zoom, and now I got time between the second Zoom. And I decide I'm going to get my oil changed. Now, I had a problem before in Tuscola. Um... I stayed at a hotel in Tuscola once, right? And, you know, hey, good to see Scott Grable's tuned in. <clears throat> and I wasn't making any money. This is like 2017. I had just started working for you, Scott. And I was using Scott's gambling account. And I paid for this hotel in Tuscola. And I'm losing money on the game. <clears throat> and I'm doing like this OUIL for Scott. <clears throat> And, like, it's really a weird place. And Scott's text me, hey, after this game, make sure you pay me my $300 you lost on my account. <laughs> but I go to the hotel, and the guy says to me, what are you doing with that credit card? I'm like, oh, I'm here. I made a reservation, sir. <laughs> well, you only get a discount if you pay cash. I'm like, oh, okay. So I pulled the cash out. I don't have a ton of cash at this point, but I pulled a couple hundred bucks. I give the guy his cash. I said, what's my discount? Oh, you piece of shit. You want a discount? Cheap rooms are right cheap enough. I'm like, huh. I started to learn to school was weird. But, you know, respecting Mark. It's okay. I'm going to get through this. No big deal. It all came full circle on Wednesday when I get this oil change. Now, I pull into the quick lube. And there's these three guys. And these guys look like they were just released from a mental hospital. I mean, they really, um, they were really just 
strange guys. They were on their coffee break, and I pull in. Like, ah, you son of a bitch, pull in. They're really pissed off I pull in there. So I, I roll in to get the oil changed. And this one guy screams, put your visor down! Like, okay. So I put my visor down. It's like, what type of oil does this thing take? I don't know. I have no idea, sir. He goes, do you want regular washer fluid or do you want the de-icer? The de-icer is $3.95 more. Like, eh, you know, give me the de-icer. Of course he wants the de-icer, Mr. Cadillac. Oh, look at this guy with the de-icer. Okay. Now I'm, I'm getting a little weird here. I'm like, huh. So you guys okay? Oh, yeah, we're fine. Are you? Good. So um, I'm texting people on my phone. He goes, oh, look at Mr. Big Shot on his phone over there. I'm like, guys, should I leave? Why? You're not done yet. So they start opening the back of my car doors and like squirting this stuff. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? They change my oil. And uh, I give them a tip. That was a grave mistake. I literally gave these guys a $10 tip and thanked them for their service. They told me to go to hell. You think you're better than us? No, I just appreciate the service. They throw this thing down in my car and they say, put down this information we need. And I'm like, do you want my email address? No, why would we want that? What is that? I'm like, okay. So I'm writing my old school stuff and I start asking questions like, why do you guys need my home address? Why do you need to know who my employer is? So now I'm a little annoyed with them, but I also have to use the bathroom and this creates a quandary. So I write down 109 North Willow Avenue which is my childhood home. I write down my employer is Vandalay Industries. Um, they didn't pick up on anything. They did say they couldn't read my handwriting. Well, I heard that in law school. I asked them if I could use the bathroom. So they hand me this giant hubcap with this church key on it, right? And I am... I really got to urinate, all right? So I take it, and I'm trying my damnedest to get this key in. And they're like, ah, ha, ha, that idiot. He doesn't even have to open the door. And I'm like, hey, dude, the key doesn't work. Like, oh, I'm sorry. We gave you the wrong key. Luckily, I get the right key. Now, at this point, I'm kind of thinking my demise is coming, right? <laughs> this is not good. I get to use the bathroom finally, and... I kind of had a memory of the Jackson County Jail Library Room. Have you ever been there? <laughs> so there's like feces on the ground, and I'm like hopping over in my suit trying to touch anything. The water came out brown, and uh, I gave them their key back, and I got the hell out of there. And it was a really weird situation. And I think to myself, man, <clears throat> can't wait to get back to civilization in Ann Arbor. And for some reason, this was a week with all the shit I got going on where I'm going to do all these chores. I'm going to get my oil changed. I'm going to get my car wash. I'm going to do it up. Let me get to the car wash. Now, remember Thanksgiving time, I told you guys about this I had with a car wash place. And I'm starting to wonder if it's me. I went to a different car wash. A very reputable car wash in Ann Arbor. It's on the way home. And as you walk in, 
these two guys are like squirting their things on you. They got these things. Are shh. Like okay. Now it always bothered me with the car washes when they tell you to put your car in neutral and just go because you can't see shit, right? Like this stuff is pouring down on you. And all right, I mean, I'm here. I want to get the car washed. I'm on their turf, and I'm slowly rolling in neutral, and you know, the brushes are coming up, and all this stuff's happening, and this one guy, I don't know if he was an employee or what, he jumps from out of the suds, and he crosses my car. I think I would have hit the guy, I'm like, oh shit, so I put on the brakes. Now, I put on the brakes, because I saw the guy jump from the suds. I don't want to hit this dude, right? Okay. Try to be humanitarian. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want a lawsuit. The two guys that started squirting me are furious about this. What don't you understand? We said put it on neutral. So I'm rolling my window down to yell back at them as the suds are coming in my car. And I'm like, dude, that guy jumped from underneath the suds. Oh, that's Craig. I mean, does Craig just do this shit? I don't know who Craig is. But I know as I'm going through these suds and you can't see anything and you're going one mile an hour through the humps and neutral, this dude crossed the car. I didn't want to hit Craig. Finally, though, as weird as this week has been, I decided it's time for a treat. I blame Matt McManus for this. I'm coming back from the trial that's been adjourned so many times and um I text Matt like hey I want a slushy do you want a slushy cuz yeah I want a slushy what kind do you want I want coca-cola hmm I mean he couldn't just pick like red right he had to go coca-cola I want a cherry slushy and I am really pumped up to get this cherry slushy I just want to down this thing. I haven't had a treat in a while, and I'm like, all right. I want to have my cherry slushy. I'll get Matt his Coca-Cola one. I stop at the first gas station, and I always thought, and I guess I'm wrong about this, that most gas stations have slushy machines. No. Wrong you are, my friends. The first two gas stations did not have slushy machines. Now, I'm kind of on edge, right? At this point, I'm on a mission. I need a damn slushy. I need it. I want it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to find a slushy somewhere. So I'm stopping at every gas station like a maniac looking for the slushy machine. I finally get the one, right? Ah, oh, there we go. Got my slushy. No Coca-Cola one. I don't want to disappoint Matt, but I want to get this slushy. Now, I could have been an asshole and said, you know what, they got cherry right here. I could have just got mad at cherry. I could say, hey, Bo, sorry, no luck. But I did remember there was this one gas station near the office that had a cherry and Coca-Cola slushy. And forgive me for not thinking every gas station just had slushies of all varieties. I guess that makes me a snob. I don't know. But I go in and I'm looking for the Coca-Cola. And they moved it. They had it, but they moved it. So, there's like these 
cases and cases of Bud Light. And I'm in my dress shoes and my suit. And I'm like hopping up these things to get Matt his Coca-Cola slushy. Because, I mean, he needs it. He wants his slushy. And these people are looking at me like I'm a lunatic, of course. I get my red slushy. Now, of course, the cups didn't fit. The lids, I should say. So I'm looking for the lids to this Coca-Cola and Cherry slushy. Want to get Matt his. I want to have mine. I'm dying just to down this thing. And I'm fighting all the temptation in the world not to just suck this thing down. And I'm getting the lids. And these two people come up to me. And these people look like they just escaped a biohazard chemical plant. And they said to me, <laughs> it looks like you don't know anything about slushies, do you? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just looking for lids. And they show it's right there. Okay, but then the lids they point to didn't fit the slushies I had gotten. So I'm screaming, we're getting into this adding match. They're like, like throwing lids at me. So I'm like throwing stuff back and I'm like, look, dude, it doesn't fit. I don't need your help. I get the lids for my own slushy. And like the manager's looking at us and the manager knows me a little bit from like getting my nutrition bar. So I said, like, B, is everything all right? I just want my slushy. Okay. Guys, everything's under control. Get the slushies. Head back. What do we learn from this? If you're getting, if you're getting a hotel where you need oil and caro, go to Tuscola. Be careful using the bathroom and try to go to the next town over. Maybe Frank and move with older stupid Christmas decorations would have been better for this. I don't know. I just wanted some oil. Be careful at hotels there. When going through car washes, Ann Arbor, I guess she's got to have faith. Just put that thing in neutral and roll the dice. Hopefully you don't hit Craig. I don't want to hit Craig. I don't know if Craig's got a wife, kids. I don't know, poor guy. I didn't want to hit him. I cared about Craig more than they did, even though they knew Craig. And if you guys are watching this, I hope you that sticks with you. And lastly, if you're getting a slushy, and you go to a Circle K, make sure you hop over the Bud Light cases carefully and make sure you pick the lids on the left. I hope you found this as informative and educational as myself. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates and the Shiawassee Six. And, as we'll learn, the coolest guy at the party, the designated driver. Live audience, how was your day? All right, may I have the football. You know, tonight, I'm so burned out, guys. I got to the gym at the ass crack of dawn, and I've been working, and I have seven courts, and people saw me in prosecutorial roles today. Very weird, man. They um, 
Somebody said to me you were brilliant in Lenway today. Thank you. If Celeste writes a script for me, I can read literacy, man. I'm on top of that shit. Anyway, tonight we're going to talk about parties throughout the years. And we are definitely going to offend some people tonight. And my brain is fried. And I know certain people who will go against me in court tune in. And I want you to think, what is this guy likely to say in front of a jury? Mm, depends. I want to kick it back. Um, I'm going to mock myself through some of this. We're going to mock other people too. There will be... um. Nobody will left be un nobody will be unscathed tonight. Does that work? Unscathed? Is that a good word? Alright. Live audience approves. I want to go back to St. James. Oh god. What an asshole. What a group of assholes. What a time St. James was. Grammar school. And this is when you start learning about parties, right? The grammar school parties. And we start when we're all friends. We're all cool. You know, like when you're in first grade and stuff, you don't understand what cliques are. You just don't like each other. And then we learn about cliques. We learn about the social hierarchy. And I remember not getting invited to certain parties. There was this one kid, Mike Chait. Oh my god. Mike, you've heard me talk about Mike Chait before. Mike Chait thought he was the coolest kid in the world. He basically kicks John Paxson's ass, not to get his ass beat. And Mike Chait for years told people how he beat me up in 8th grade. And Mike, bro, listen, man, look at the scoreboard, pal. I hope that 8th grade story got you a lot of ass over the years. I'm sure if you beat the Day up today, it'd be something to brag about. Yes, I defend all sorts of people, Detroit Michael. On that note, the 8th grade parties were fascinating because you didn't know people were drinking and smoking pot already, right? So you get these idiots at St. James that they thought this person was cool and that person wasn't. They used to have all these crazy parties by St. James standards. And you just kind of were the onlooker. You weren't invited to this party and you weren't invited to that one. And from an early age, you felt like an outcast, right? And I knew even in 8th grade, shit was going to change. And boy, did shit change. Freshman year at AC High, I remember going to the freshman dance. Now, I'm a white kid from the hood going to the dance, and I thought at the dance you wore sweatpants. I was wrong. People are laughing at me, and I'm poor, and this and that, and it was really, it sucked. But then in high school, we didn't have a car. So when all the Margate and Ventnor kids were going to these parties and socializing, having sex and smoking weed and doing drugs, all this happy horse shit, I was back in the hood. And junior year, without a vehicle in our house... I just wasn't going to any parties, obviously. Number one, I wasn't invited. Number two, we didn't have transportation. And it all changed junior year. We won the state championship at mock trial. I want you to think about who's on this mock trial team. We got Elliot Gower. He is the rabbi's son, and he thinks he's the second coming of Christ. 
We got Ben Paywall, the intellectual, who's got hair like Sideshow Bob. Yeah, I think he's a professor at U of M today. Scott Neustadter, who became a great producer. Laurie Seropoulos. All these Margate kids and me. And we win this state title. And everybody's invited to this party in Margate. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my god, I finally arrived. Now understand something here. Here's where race and social economics come into play. Growing up poor, we lived next to Pitney Village. And when people were getting killed in Pitney, they were partying in Pitney. And these were all black and Hispanic kids in Pitney. And you'd hear the music blaring and them having a good time. And while it was a war zone, my idea of a party was like dancing and music and this and that. So now we win the state championship at mock trial. I put on a suit. I think I'm looking good. I go to this party in Margate, take two buses to get there. I'm like, oh my god, I arrived. And this, I realized I wasn't missing shit. I'm seeing these Margate kids dance on the piano and eat cheese and crackers. Now I'm thinking, I saw partying in Pitney Village go on, and now I'm seeing partying with the Jewish kids in Margate. And this is a very different dynamic of what a party is. Um, and then they get out the wine, right? The Margate kids start drinking a little bit of wine. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. And it was at this point, at the age of 16, I learned, if I'm sober, I'm always going to be in control of everything. And I got to the point where I thought I was the smartest guy in the room anyway. But now, being intelligent and sober, holy shit, I could study people. And as a little bit of liquor went in, a little bit of truth came out, and these people would be, like, giving confessionals. And I thought to myself, man, if I drank, would I be this stupid? Stay tuned. Community college was different. Community college, the best way I could express Atlantic Community College at the time, is you had a bunch of people that weren't in the four-year schools. I remember I went to Atlantic Community College to play travel baseball, work in the casino, and uh, support my family. And the people at these parties, they were, like, angry. I think at the end of the day, they knew they weren't going anywhere. So they would drink and smoke weed and stuff like that. They were bitter about life. And they went to about one day where they get to the four-year school and this and that. And it was, um, it's just an agitating group. Stockton, things would get different. Now I'm at a four-year school. And let me tell you. At Stockton, they partied in the late 90s. Holy shit, did they party. At this point, I'm becoming kind of cool because I'm like the bartender in the casino and I'm getting great grades and I got the, like this flair about me a little bit and, you know, all the stuff of being a geek growing up has kind of subsided and now I'm at these Stockton parties. And I was looking at things very differently because I was dating older women that worked in the casino. So the college girls were kind of a joke to me because, I mean, I, I learned a lot of stuff from older women when I was dating that was like, whoa. Okay, there's a difference between girls, there's a difference between women. So the college girls would be partying and they really 
thought they had the world by the balls. And in college parties, they were like this. They were fraternity parties. Which, um... I think today, if you go to a fraternity party, they probably charge you with a CSC six years later, right? Um, but there were fraternity parties. There were the academic parties. These were the intellectuals. And these were really unattractive people, the intellectuals. They would be talking about, you know, literature and shit like that. And they'd get really upset if you knew something more than them. Because you got to think about something. When somebody's whole identity is academics. And now here comes the cool guy who's actually smarter than them. I mean, the script screwed up. They would get really bitter, but they wouldn't get violent with you at these parties. They would just get drunk and self-hate each other. That was the literature department at Stockton, in my opinion. Um, there were the jocks. These parties, heavy beer keggers, these guys thought they were going to be professional athletes. Uh, if you were playing at Stockton in the 90s, you weren't going to be a pro athlete. But, you know, they scored a lot of jersey chasers there. And let me tell you, the women at Stockton that were chasing the athletes, that was like the girls that coolly try to chase lawyers, okay? You're fishing the wrong pool. Um, <laughs> Chris Foster, I want to... I'm going to tell you a story later. I'm going to drop something in. I'm going to be very careful with it. Um, after Stockton, I'm trying to get into law school. And it was a rough run. The dyslexia was a complete bitch. And the Tropicana parties were really fascinating. The time between college and law school was a very weird time of self-reflection and growth for me. I'm working in the casino. I'm a shop steward for the union. I'm taking the LSAT. I'm taking extra writing courses. And you start hanging with different things. And I realize at this point of life, people really need it to click on to something. This is how cults are formed, guys. And I've done it all, okay? Let me be clear. Father Sullivan was a role model to me. <laughs> he was I know he was an asshole but he was a role model to me so I would go to the religious parties and let me tell you something whoa you want to have a bunch of self-loathing assholes there flipping out who knows their bible verses better and And these guys, when they would get some Johnny Walker Black in them, they would really talk shit about society. They were like in their own little world. There were the failed athletes. I was one of them. I went to those parties. Okay, so failed athletes, what they like to do is have like fantasy baseball trips where doing lines of cocaine. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm the sober one. <laughs> Watching failed athletes in South Jersey party, it was like watching a train wreck. You didn't want to see them wreck, but you couldn't really look away. Then there was this one bachelor party at the Alki. I won't get into specifics, but Mr. T showed up. There were strippers. There was Mr. T. It was crazy. And I'm sitting there with Scott Zolder, may he rest in peace, and Henry DeHedeville, my friend, my best friend. 
and we are like these three straight lace guys watching strippers dance on the pool table. Mr. T's coming in screaming. The Mr. T bachelor party, and I won't mention names because I know people are watching, that was memorable. But it also made me think, whoa, what the hell's going on with life? But there was nothing quite as cool as wedding parties in South Jersey. And if you haven't been to South Jersey, let me tell you something. They look for reasons to celebrate. It's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving party. The wedding parties were the worst. Because what you had was basically this. You got a woman who has now settled for a guy who she feels is beneath her. But she feels her biological clock is ticking. So she marries him and she's mad about it. He quite often was marrying up based on physical attraction, but he's also lazy. And he's pissed off that he has to marry her he also realizes he's not going to get anybody as good looking as her. So these two miserable people form this union. And they celebrate it. And you're sitting there and everybody's asking you, oh, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? And um, I remember at 26 thinking to myself, I am not going to marry a woman from New Jersey. But the wedding parties were really fascinating. The Tropicana parties were a whole different ballgame. Let me tell you something. You ain't seen a drug house till you see the Tropicana party in the 90s or early 2000s. Oh my god. And I'm saying this being completely sober. I can tell you today at my age, in my mid-40s, I've never drank. I've never had a cigarette. I never smoked a joint. I never did a line of coke. I never did heroin. Never. Straight edge for life. And I'm watching this shit just go down. And even today, I love buying people drinks and watching them talk. It is like a case study for me. Tropicana parties were fascinating. And now, understand something. I'm going to use the Pitney Village Margate dynamic now, okay? Think about this. I saw parties at Pitney. I heard of parties in Margate. Now, I had experienced parties from Tropicana and the Union, and now I go off to Cooley. Cooley was fascinating. Oh, my God. You had a group of assholes that thought they were God's gift to the world. Because they're in law school. Here's the funny thing. The Cooley people look down upon the working man and woman. The MSU law students look down upon the Cooley people. The University of Michigan law students look down upon the Michigan State law students. The Ivy League law students look down upon the U of M students. So, understanding this hierarchy, I'm a Cooley student. So, in this concept, if you would, I'm bottom of the barrel. And I would just think to myself, well, we all take the same bar exam, so who gives a shit? But that's not the way they thought. So at Cooley, instead of being angry, right? Because here's my thought at Cooley. The hell with the MSU student. Screw the Michigan student. And I can't wait to see the Ivy League asshole in court. 
No, no, no. We didn't stay together. We separated. At Cooley, you would have the book award people. And they would party and pretend they were smart because their dream was to be like an intellectual at MSU. And I can tell you, being an intellectual at MSU, I give you $10 and a Starbucks coupon and you'll be good to go. My God, what were they thinking? And then there were the failed jocks at Cooley. They were, I was on the rugby team and did all that happy horse shit. Then there were the village green parties. Ever walk through Village Green, circa 2004 to 2007, take a whiff of marijuana when you walk in. I never smoked pop. I had to be high just by walking through that shit. Those parties were fascinating. And you didn't jump parties, right? No, no, no. You didn't jump parties. You were in one click or the other. So because I was in no click, I just kind of went to different things. And I was like, Jesus Christ. There was this one Village Green party... It was an intellectual Village Green party. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, right? Okay. Village Green is the apartment complex, and the Cooley intellectuals are there. And there was this one guy who swore he was going to be a judge. And I'm not bullshit when I tell you this tale. He swore he was going to be a judge. That was his thing. And he had his second, I call him his wingman. And they took this wingman shit to heart, right? The wannabe judge would always be the better looking women than his hype man. And his nickname became the judge. If you know who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. So people would start seeing him, hey judge, how are you? And I'd be really confused. Like I'd see people call this guy your honor. I'm like, why are you calling him your honor? We're in fourth term evidence class. He didn't like that. Because, well, I'm going to be a judge. Okay. Cool. His hype man took things to another level. He'd be at these parties, right? And I swear to you, I'm not bullshitting when I say this. The hype man would walk in first. He'd go, hear ye, hear ye! Here comes the judge! Now, I'm sitting here, a child of Atlantic City. Man, these assholes have smoked some really unique drugs. Because, I mean... Why is he going here and here and accepting the fact that he has to date less attractive women than the guy who's a wannabe a judge? Which, by the way, neither one of them are doing shit today in the legal field. But this was coolie parties, man. And I thought to myself, the law school parties, these had to be people, right, that weren't cool in high school. So, you know, now they got to be cool for this short three-year period. I don't know. Trying to hook up with some girls at MSU because you're a Cooley Law student? Eh. There were 1,250 people in my first term class. There are 15 of us that I've counted that have been successful in the field of law. Ladies, you were fishing in the wrong pool. But I will tell you, there was this one great Cooley party. Lucky Boy's Confusion, my favorite band of all time, came to town. Man, I'll tell you, I got tickets, which was a hardship back then. Now, I went with four people, and these were four very diverse people. And this is one of the things that's powerful about Lucky Boy's Confusion. 
I know Lucky Boy's confusion. I know LBC has never got the commercial acclaim of Yellow Card or Jimmy Eat World or Blink-182, but Lucky Boy's confusion would put people together that would never be in a room together by choice. Three people I could not stand and myself decide to go to this concert. And it truly was one of the best experiences of my life. And I could tell you this. When I say best experience, it was just a fun time. Stuby and the crew were amazing. It was one of my funnest law school experiences. And the power of Lucky Boy's Confusion was the three assholes I went with, I never liked them before the concert. And we never hung out after the concert. But during the concert, we were best of friends. And after the concert, we were cordial to each other. Because what LBC did that night was absolutely amazing. You're a law student busting your ass. And with me, it felt like the pressure of the world was on me, right? My Aunt Mare, may she rest in peace. Not being a successful lawyer was simply not an option. I had to get through Cooley. I had to pass the bar. I had to practice multiple jurisdictions. I had to support her. There, there was no other option. It was that. Success was the only option. And these people, who I didn't like, very different backgrounds. But the music really brought us all together. And we're in the mosh pit and we're hanging out. And that was just amazing about Lucky Boy's Confusion. It could bring, they could bring people together that would never want to be in the same room. And when I see one of these guys in court today, he's a prosecutor. We've had some vicious battles, this individual and I. And every once in a while we'll be going over a case and just think back to that moment in 2006 when we went to go see Lucky Boy's Confusion together. And that was the coolest law school part I ever went to. Um, wasn't much there, though. As a lawyer, parties became in different flavors. And you learn that life never really changes, right? You know, in high school, the rich kids had their parties. The poor kids had their parties. In law school, failed athletes, the burnouts, the intellectuals. Now here we are in the real world. So what happens now? The civil lawyers have their parties. The criminal defense lawyers have their parties. The wills, estates, and trust guys and girls, they go to their cliques. At the end of the day, we all become products of learned behavior. I will tell you this. I've been to those criminal defense parties in Lansing. And I've been to them in Ann Arbor. Let me tell you the difference. In Lansing, they're banging back the Bankers Club gin, house gin. In Ann Arbor, it's Beef Eater and Tangare all day, or Bombay. There's more zeros behind the parties. There's bigger money. That's the same shit, man. We don't really evolve. We don't really branch out. 
we find the click we're comfortable in. We find that little pool. We try to have some teeth in that pool. And I'll tell you, I can look back at assholes like Mike Chait in grammar school and say, okay, well, we're not there anymore. And think back at the horrors of high school and the struggles of community college and the college drama and the battle to get in the law school and then the law school parties and the real parties now, the real world. We're in our mid-40s. We're banging heads. We're fighting like hell for our clients. Well, some of us are. And I sit there and I think to myself, huh, I get invited to the most prestigious parties you could ever hope for in the state of Michigan. And when I go, I try to find a quiet spot and text people I enjoy talking to. Because those parties that you have to go to for political purposes, not real, man. It's just all fake. We're all part of this game. I think one of the cool things about me is I get it. I don't give a shit. If I gotta go for political reasons, I'll go. I understand why I'm there. The parties of the law field are the parties of life. It's varsity. Everything else was JV. And what I would recommend to people, sit back, stay sober, and just people watch. And you will learn so much from all this. I went from a point of being bitter by not being invited to parties to saying, man, I wish the guy didn't have to show up to this thing. Socialization is an interesting dynamic, guys. But at the end of the day, whether it's religion, whether it's a clique, whether it is money or power or sex or whatever you want to spin, all it is is people desperately trying to belong and fit in. And I think the good thing about the outsiders like myself is when we weren't accepted in our youth, we don't give a shit about being accepted today. And that makes the study far more enjoyable. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Let's talk about the Ice Bucket Challenge. The Ice Bucket Challenge was really weird. What happened with the Ice Bucket Challenge is it was this thing that was going on in 2014 and 2015 and it was for the ALS situation and what happens is people would like dump buckets of ice water over their head and raise money for charity seemed a little crazy right now in 2014 I'm tutoring heavy Um, I'm living in Lansing with Jewel and I'm not doing the whole law thing yet. Facebook was a big part of my life, obviously. And one day, I'm on Facebook, and I'm going through a news feed, and I see some guy now, and he's screaming as water's coming down. Ah! And I'm like, what the hell's that? 
Then I sold these Facebook Lives with the Ice Bucket Challenge. So people started asking me, would I dump ice over my head? What are you, nuts? Like, why, why were people doing this? And it became like the middle class America's wet t-shirt contest. The Telegraph in England wrote these articles about it. How different people were doing the ice bucket challenges. And it got really crazy. It became like if you were going to be cool on social media, you had to do this ice bucket challenge. Really crazy thing. You know, I mean, there's some people that I would love to thump ice over their head. But we'll leave that for another time. But the Ice Bucket Challenge, it was kind of like the wave in baseball. It shows that there were more followers than leaders in this world. It was just something that people were doing left and right. People loved their Ice Bucket Challenge. I never got it, did you? I mean, what was the point of that? You know, if you want to give money to charity, give money to charity. Not to, like, dump ice and water over your head to do so. Really weird. It made some people feel good, though. Maybe they were cool for a minute. You know, they got their little 15 minutes of fame with their Facebook lives. I want to talk about the typing class in high school. There were actually typing teachers in high school. Fresher had typing class with this guy named Mr. McAnally, and he was an arrogant guy. It was like he told us that you had to type without looking. I still don't do that. But if you couldn't type without looking, you were not going to be successful. And I remember the typing class made me think about clicks in high school. I'm having a conversation with a friend of mine today. And they're going on and on and on about clicks in high school. And they were cool. And I wasn't cool. And they say, well, you're really cool today. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm cool today. But... Back to high school, these typing clicks were really a big thing. Remember one day in typing class, Mr. McAnally shows this video of him driving to work and paying the toll and talking about typing. What do they do with those typing teachers today? Like, did they, like, push them to the side and make them clean the chalkboards or something? What a useless technique to have. One day, there would be something called Microsoft Word on a computer. It really became something. I remember my typing fine. I didn't do great on it. You had to type so many words a minute. And it was like people were deciding who was cool and who was not based on their typing ability. God, that's just crazy. Thank God today we pick who's cool not based on their criminal law ability. Whew. That typing sh** doesn't work and criminal's going okay. The live audience completely agrees with me on this. And I appreciate that. I do. I'm Bill Amadeo. Go Eagles. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the 
the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.